This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England of Football Supporters podcast. Here it is. The episode no one wants to do, listen to or participate in. But seeing as you're here, let's get it over with. Uh, firstly though, apologies if I sound like I'm talking through my nose. I pretty much am. Uh, this cold snap, winter cold has got me. Um, this is why this podcast is audio only. The last thing you need to see is me and my Christmas-themed nose. Those of you heading back from Qatar, if you can find some thermals out there, you might want to snap them up. They might be the most expensive thermals ever, but I think you're going to need them. <laughs> Coming up, I'm going to be joined by England fan Matt Astbury as we look back on the France game, the World Cup as a whole, and where we go from here. But first, as I've done throughout some of my World Cup observations since we last spoke. Unfortunately, there was the news of another migrant death. A Filipino migrant worker died after carrying out repairs at a resort used by the Saudi Arabian team. As I've previously said, this migrant death tally has been quite murky since the Guardian newspaper announced a figure of 6,500 in February 2021. Rightly or wrongly, however it may be interpreted. But this latest death hasn't done the Qatari authorities much good. Especially the way they've responded to it. Now I kind of write these notes on and off between episodes. And something that I scribbled down was that it's been a fairly clean tournament. Not a huge amount of yellow cards. That was until Argentina met the Netherlands in the quarter-final where the yellow card tally increased somewhat after the Spanish referee Antonio Lajos dished out 18 yellow cards and also a red card after the final whistle to Dumfries of the Dutch for getting involved in an altercation. I think it's safe to say he won't be on FIFA's Christmas card list after that performance. And to date... That takes the sendings off in Qatar up to four. There was the Welsh keeper, the Cameroon player against Brazil, and there was one for a Moroccan in their quarter final. But all the sendings off, they have all been fairly late in the games. Unfortunately, as I say, it's been a fairly clean tournament. So Brazil were one of the first casualties of the quarter finals, losing to Croatia on penalties. So for the fourth time in five since they won it in 2002, they fell at the quarter-final hurdle. Spain, after being knocked out by Morocco on penalties, have relieved their manager Luis Enrique of his duties. He's not the first manager to not be in a job following their exit from the tournament. Mexico, they sacked Gerardo Martino after they failed to get out of the group stages. Roberto Martinez... He paid the price for not getting Belgium and their group of superstars out of the group stage. Otto Addo was a German manager in charge of Ghana. They finished bottom of Group H and he has resigned. 
And we mentioned Brazil. Their manager Tite confirmed he was leaving after that loss to Croatia. And another losing quarterfinal manager was the Netherlands' Louis van Gaal. Although he can walk with his head held high, this was his third stint as Dutch national coach. He didn't lose a match in his 20 games that he managed within 90 or 120 minutes. That's pretty impressive. We will wait and see as to how Gareth Southgate reacts to his position after the loss against France. This is what he had to say when ITV's Gabriel Clark interviewed him shortly after the France game. And what about you now? You have a contract till uh, the end of Euro 2024. Do you stay with this group and carry on? Uh, I think after every tournament we've sat and, and reviewed and reflected and that's, you know, that needs a little bit of time to make sure that everybody makes the right decisions. That gives me great pleasure to welcome back to the Three Lions podcast, England fan Matt Asprey. Matt, how you doing, mate? I'm oh, doing all right, thanks. What's how are you? Yeah, yeah, all all good, all things considered. We're talking on the Sunday, the day after the uh, after the France game. Going into the game, like when you woke up on Saturday morning, uh, how were you feeling? Well, I put a tweet out. It was like a meme that I use all the time when England are playing in a big game. <laughs> I don't get nervous, but I was getting shaky. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, any big England game, you get nervous for. France is, France is no different, but I think it was another level this time because it's the defending champions and it's sort of amped up after the Portugal-Morocco game because Morocco got through and then you were like going, hold on. If it didn't get through, we've got a chance here making the final. It, it like, was a bit of a distraction, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I joked on um, the what's and our WhatsApp group with some of my mates going, "Yeah, looking forward to England now getting battered now Morocco are through." So it's like seems like you know, I was like, this could be any more perfect. What's going to happen now? And it's like, it's what is going to be a crazy game of football? Now, these next ninety minutes, it's going to be such carnage. Do you reckon that? I mean, I'm probably getting way ahead of myself here, but do you reckon the players were aware of the... I'm just, Clearly, they were probably aware of the Morocco result, but do you reckon that was somewhere in their subconscious, what you were thinking? I, I don't think so. I think the way England go about their business now, it's very much on the game at hand. Yeah. I mean... England are in a um, they're in a different position to, for example, the round of sixteen where they didn't know who they were playing. But this time around, England were the last match to play, which I don't like. I don't like it if you're in the knockouts; you're the last game to be played. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it might. But I don't think it would have done really because you know all those players have been in big games before with the clubs where they know who they're playing or yeah. you know they know what's on the horizon. So yeah, I don't think that would have seeped into the subconscious anyway, judging by performance, it didn't. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Gareth went with the same team that faced Senegal, 4-3-3. Pickford, Shaw, Stones, Maguire, Walker, Bellingham, Rice, Henderson, Foden, Kane and Saka. Of course, all the talk leading up to the game 
I mean, as soon as we knew we were playing France, everyone was going on about Mbappe. Mbappe this, Mbappe that. I mean, to be fair, it it wasn't the Mbappe show, was it? No, I mean, um, one podcast I listened to earlier, they had a French writer on and he described it as like a three out of ten for Mbappe. Mm. Um, but what England did, which was good, was that obviously it was good that Walker's back because Walker's been up against him before as well, which helped. Yeah. So he knows what threat he poses. But yeah, what England did well was they just stopped to get in into, he often likes to shoot in a left centre position in the box. And I don't think I saw him go into that position once. I don't really remember him going in the box, England's box. But again, yeah. but I, I might be wrong, but I don't, I would like to say, I've not really looked like a touch map for him or anything, but I didn't really remember him being around England's box that much. And they really snuffed him out. I mean, you know, but again, I was a bit nervous because like, he would be. I mean, Mbappe, he has that amazing double afterburner that he could do with his pace. Yeah, I was really impressed with how he just stopped Mbappe out of the game. Yeah, he certainly didn't get the opportunities that he did against Poland, where obviously he scored a couple of goals, where, as you say, he cuts in and, and shoots at goal from like that sort of left of centre and where he got two against Poland. But yeah, no, we uh, we snuffed him out. But then, obviously, there were there were other threats which were were always going to be there. But we sort of settled into the game. I mean, it it was a up until their goal. I thought it was fairly even. I have to be honest. I mean, as as the whole game, as as everyone pretty much knows who watched it, who was there, it was fairly even a fair encounter. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I was really interested to see what the tactic battle would be, the tactical battle, because it were going to be two teams that have amazing attacking flair when they wanted to use it. There's a lot of great young players and with a, few, with a bit with a sprinkle of experience. So it would be really interesting. And yeah, as you said before, the French goal, it was pretty even, but I always think about England with Southgate quite often against the big teams. He sort of waits and sees for about 20, 30 minutes how the game's panning out and then starts changing. I think he did that against Senegal with around yeah. 16. But it was, um, you know, we probably will come on to this about the referee. But I mean, their goal came out of nothing. It was a long shot. I mean, you know, some people go, oh yeah, Berlin could have closed it down. But I mean, those shots sometimes they do just go and it's a World Cup. They usually get sucked into the back of the net regardless. But yeah, it was a very even game. I thought all throughout it was even. I mean, as I said, I was just really impressed with how England went about it. Yeah. There's a little bit to talk about with that first goal. And the goal came, let's say, from Chirinami, um on about 17 minutes. It was, it was a cracking hit, great hit. Um, England sort of backed off of him um, and, he, and he struck it from about oh, 20 yards, something like that. There's talk of a foul. Um, with Saka 20, 25 seconds prior to this up the other end of the pitch where and it's the referee, and, and you mentioned it there, Wilton Sampal, the Brazilian referee, didn't give it. I must admit, I thought, it, when you're talking about our oh, VAR didn't give it to us, you know that kind of football is is a little bit, I don't know, dare I say a bit soft, that they're trying to claim a foul for that. I didn't think it was necessarily a foul it certainly wasn't a foul that would have been given four or five years ago yeah I mean I think because of the all the emotional aspect of it as well obviously when I first saw it I was straight away foul like Mm. you know 
But I think it was just a case of how it was starting to build up with the referee in terms of like he was giving free kicks that weren't free kicks, but yeah. then he wasn't giving free kicks that were. Um, but, you know, people are bringing up the VAR argument. As you said there, the goal was scored about 20, 25 seconds after, which in that time you probably entered a whole new phase of play. Yeah. If it was in around the box or in the box, well, we're going to talk about penalty shot later. Um, yeah. Then you could see it being pulled back, but it's not in a danger area, so to speak. And it was another phase of play by then. So, I mean, you know, this way, every other foul is going to be called back to VAR if it's going to be another phase of play. So, you know, it was frustrating it wasn't given, but people say, oh, yeah, it should have been pulled back. But yeah, but if if France hadn't gone like darting up the pitch like they did, then I could see how it could get pulled back. But by the time people go, oh, we need VAR, we need VAR, France had scored. It was like a whole new phase of play. So I could, it, it's, it's what happens in these big games. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a bit clutching at straws. If 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 I have to put like a uh, an impartial view on it, um, I don't, even from an England view, I kind of felt it was clutching at straws. But France went ahead. But then we we talk about the other sort of big talking point was the the first penalty appeal, which I, I kind of happened too long after the the French goal. What five minutes, something like that. Yeah. Um, Kane tripped. Was he in the box, outside the box, on the line? Again, this is another one where I think, I reckon it was just outside the initial contact. Well, well, I thought it was on the line. Again, like, you need about 700 different camera angles now at football. Like, you just get to a stage now where, where else do they get a camera? Is it going to get to a stage where at some point in the future they're going to have to put sensors on the edge of the box and get... Yeah, I mean, again, as I said, it was just emotions running high and that sort of thing. Like, you know, if you were there in Doha at the stadium, then you probably would have gone penalty. That's a penalty that's in the box. But then when you look at it on a replay, it's one of those close ones. But again, it's emotion. It's trying to get back in the game. And you're one nil down. You're trying to get something going. You know, the bad refereeing decisions were accumulating. So, yeah, again, it's like, the drama of just tournament football, it's its what makes the World Cup and knockout competitions amazing bits of theatre. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But half-time came, we we're 1-0 down. I don't know what, what Gareth would have said. How do you think you would have spoken to him at half-time? I think it would have been really positive. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like the goal was a well-worked set piece or... France ran through England's play, England's midfield and defence, or you know England were being played off the park. They were giving a really good account of themselves. It was clear yeah. what France were doing to be the best. You got a bit, have a bit of the dark arts, and France were doing that. I mean, Mikhail Saka was getting kicked for political post against France. It was causing so many problems. They had to resort to fouling him all the time, yeah, or just you know ch- chopping him at the legs, but. um I think he would have just said to them, keep doing what you're doing and a goal will come. We'll have chances. And that's exactly what happened in the second half because there was a time when we were just knocking on that front, on that door for a French goal for ages. Yeah, yeah, straight after straight after half time, as you say, we were in and around that area, knocking it around, putting the pressure on. And instead of talking about Mbappe, that he, he didn't really have the game everyone expected him to and and probably himself didn't expect to have. 
But it was it was Saka's game, really. I thought as much credit as Bellingham's gets, and and rightly so for for the tournament as well for his performances. Saka, I thought, was was immense, especially for his age. It, it always sounds really patronising saying that, but he's such a class player, and he's the one that that won us that penalty by uh, by being brought down. Yeah, as you said, I think we spoke about this last time I was on the uh, podcast. Like this tournament has been a whole redemption art for Saka. He's just been amazing, and he needed he needed a reward. For, he needed a reward for all the hard work he was putting in. As I mentioned before, he was getting fouled left, right, and centre. It was going to be inevitable that he was going to get this and go his way, and finally it did in the form of the penalty, but. Yeah, he was causing all sorts of problems. The French didn't know how to deal with him. Let, they, I don't think they did it. I don't think the French team had a stop Saka plan. Well, it's looks of it. Well, we had to stop Mbappe one, but yeah, no, Saka finally got a reward for how well he was playing with that penalty. Uh, that penalty show. Yeah. So up steps Harry Kane. Equals Wayne Rooney's goal scoring record of fifty three England goals. He's always so confident with a penalty, isn't he? And this time, obviously, facing his teammate, Hugo Lloris, both of Tottenham. Um, they said on the commentary that, I mean, you don't know, you never know how much to read into this, but apparently they, they don't really take penalties with each other. Oh, well, I'm not surprised if they're going to be uh, two international players. I mean, you know, I think uh, I think Lloris would be more wanting to have uh, Kane take penalties at him. I don't think Kane would want to... Uh, Tech penalties against Lloris in training, so I'm not, I'm not surprised that's uh, that's come from the training ground. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was uh, so obviously Harry Kane equalised. Harry Maguire came so close as well with a header that hit just the outside of the post. I thought there, I mean, I was on my feet thinking that had gone in, uh, but just yeah, on the outside of the post. Yeah, I mean, it's another great time for Harry Maguire. He's mm. been, he's really. I'm not saying impressed is the right word because he's always impressed when he's been with England but he's it's sort of been nice to see him play well after all the club troubles he's had and um, you know he, he's become a real leader on that uh, pitch I think if Harry Kane wasn't England captain I, Harry Maguire would be right up there as a candidate because even after matches as well over this tournament he's you know been a great speaker and he just seems like he's enjoy he's enjoying himself. I bet he's a bit gutted now. He's had to uh, go home back to Manchester United because he just like thrives in that instant. But yeah, it would have been nice for Harry Maguire to get a World Cup goal or two because I mean that's what made his name in 2018. That's where his chance come from. The World Cup is where he sort of the 2018 one in Russia is where he burst yeah. onto the international scene as an England cult hero. So yeah, it's a bit gutted he didn't leave, but. I mean, you know, he has been immense this tournament and that chance, if that went in, I think there'd have been a lot of, uh, I think the celebrations would have been on another level if he scored. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I I couldn't give a monkey's really about what Manchester United do um, in the league, but you have to, as I know you don't either, but you have to wonder going forward with, with United, how, how he's going to perform now in the Premier League after these World Cup performances. Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all about getting that starting berth, though. He's got to find a way into that team. I think he'll just see how this season goes. And if he doesn't play that often, then I could see him moving on. I mean, there was some talk of a move back to Leicester at one point, but they'll be wanting like a huge fee. So it's going to be interesting what happens. But I think as long as he's doing all right for England now, I don't, I, 
he can, he can do what he wants as long as he puts the effort in with the, for the national team. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, too right. Well, we spoke about Mbappe and it was going to be his night, but as I said, there, there's 10 other players and two of those were, were always going to be dangerous, being Griezmann. And one I, I, I'd said before, Giroud, you can never discount Giroud after what he's done for Arsenal, for Chelsea, what he's doing for AC Milan. He's always going to be a threat. He's, he's the French all-time record goal scorer, and he scored another one. But this was after he'd, uh, he'd had an effort that Pickford had, had pulled off a glorious save, hadn't he? Yeah, it was a cracking save from uh, Pickford. And yeah, as you say, Giroud, is, um, Giroud won't be in this position if Benzema, wasn't, if Benzema didn't get injured. I don't think Giroud would have been playing. So he sort of uh, grasped this opportunity with both hands and he was he's a player who is riding on such a high at the moment, obviously breaking that French all-time goal-scoring record and it's been his tournament. I mean, when you think about this tournament, when you look back on it, you will think of Giroud's goals because he's just been immense. But he has literally done the classic, grasped that opportunity with both hands. And yeah, I mean, Griezmann, I think, was one of the... He, he was like the French man of the match for me. I thought he was immense in midfield. He was amazing. I think he was just drifting around like... like, like He was just drifting around like there was nothing going on. He was just so relaxed on the ball and just the delivery into Giroud as well was just a sublime ball. You can't really do a fat lot about that, but both Giroud and Griezmann deserve big mentions for how well they played. Yeah, so they Giroud scored obviously from that Griezmann's cross and and then the pressure was on, but Southgate changed things, bought on, um, who did he bring on? He bought on Mount for Henderson, he bought on Sterling for Saka, Rashford for Foden. I haven't made a note of what sort of the times he uh, he changed things. Obviously, in the past, he's been criticised for changing things too late. Did he change things at the right time here? I mean, of he changed bringing Mount on. He was only on for, what, a minute, two minutes, and he's, he's won a penalty. I think the changes could have been done about 60, 65 minutes. That's how I like to see yeah. changes come in, because you're giving yourself enough time then. I didn't expect Raheem Sterling to be on the pitch. That's what no, I didn't expect. I must admit, I was surprised. Yeah, I can see what he's been through, but he's someone that Gareth Southgate trusts, so that's going to be something for Southgate to explain if he ever does. Mason Mount, it's another one that Southgate trusts. Bringing off Saka, the only reason I could think of Saka being brought off was because possibly an injury, and maybe Southgate was sort of trying to forward plan, let's say, if England managed to pull it back and win the game, get through to semis, you'd have Saka fit that yeah. semi-final game. I was very surprised Grish didn't come on a lot earlier as well because he is someone who would have played into France's hands in terms of winning fouls, set pieces up which England are really good at. And, you know, if you've got Grish running out, and the way France were playing, they were trying to, they were, playing, they were putting in fouls left, right and centre, you know, a bit of like, you know, trying to you know disrupt the England's rhythm, I think Greenwich would have been a perfect option in terms of that. But yeah, it was very weird. But again, it's like, it all changes. Like it can all change on one kick and like, you know, we're going to move on to it now. They missed penalty. I mean, it could have mm. all changed. And then, you know, you could see why the change is being made. Maybe those changes are already being done before the penalty miss. I don't know. But yeah, it did seem quite odd. And, you know, with what we've got on the bench, 
yeah, it was a bit weird. But again, I think when it comes to the guy Southgate substitutions, you can't really predict what's going to happen. So, I mean, how that went to VAR, I've no idea. As soon as it happened, I was like, well, it's, it's a penalty. It's, it's a stonewaller. He wasn't looking at the ball. He's ploughed straight into him. But no, I had to get a VAR. But up stepped Kane again. And, and it's been spoken about many a time that you get two penalties within a game. It's this strange sort of, I'm saying this having never taken a penalty in a, in a World Cup game, but what must be going through your mind on so many levels? It's it's a World Cup quarterfinal to equalise. You've already taken a penalty and, and scored it, so you know where you've put it and where do you put the next one. But at the same time, you know, Harry Kane knows, I'm going to become England's all-time record goal scorer with this if it goes in. Yeah, I don't think that would have been on his mind when he walked up to the spot, to be honest. He's not that sort of person. But I was very surprised to see him take the second penalty. Um, Because, you know, thinking, just trying to think, though, like, I can't... The other credible candidate in terms of taking one, who would have probably shown no fear, it's probably Harry Maguire after his Euros one. But uh, I don't think they would have done it in that sort of 90 minutes. But, yeah, it was weird. I personally wouldn't have put Kane on a second penalty. But he's going to want to take it anyway, isn't he? Yeah. I don't know, like... You know, you'll have tiredness creeping in. Obviously, you know, he's been in that position before, taking like penalties, it's nothing new. But, um, you know, just to keep it fresh. And maybe if, let's say, someone did take it, someone else, and there was a save, maybe Kane could have gone and pounced on a parry or something. But I could see why he did it. Leading by example, he's the captain. Yeah. You know, he's breaking left records, left, right and centre for England. But it just seemed to me that, I think when you look at his face, he didn't look too like with it behind the. It wasn't didn't seem like you know he didn't have like the death stare or anything like that. And I think the fact it was Loris as well. I think we can't discount that. You know, two club teammates. We discussed before they don't really take penalties with each other, but it's still going to pound your mind. Like you know, he's a very talented goalkeeper, Loris, and don't got one success to one. Do I do the same again or do I do something different to throw him off guard? But if I mess it up, he'll save it or I'll go on my technique. As you said, like the amount of thoughts going through Kane's head, that penalty, I dread to think what it was like inside his brain. Yeah, no, it's, uh, unfortunately it wasn't to be and it was put over. And, and I must admit, as as much as people have said about Sam Matterface on ITV referencing Chris Waddle, it was the first thing that I thought of, I have to be honest, but I didn't say it out loud. <laughs> I didn't say it on national TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I read a piece in the garden earlier and it's like that penalty is now joined. Chris Waddles, it's still in orbit round, yeah. round the, somewhere, but it's, it's sort it of happens. English. It happens, yeah, it happens, but it's never easy watching England anyway, so something <laughs> like that was bound to happen at some point. It was always going to come down to penalties of, of some way, shape or form. But yeah, so we made our exit. Where do we go from here? I mean, I'm already itching to uh, to get on the uh, the Euro 2024, say bandwagon. Um, but I'll, I'll be there not being able to go out to Qatar. I'm itching to get like out to, to Naples for the, um, the Italy game. Where do we go from here? We've got to be positive based on this campaign? Well, yeah, it see, I found quite the post-match fallout quite weird this today. Like, there's a lot of talk about Southgate's future and things like that, which 
I find baffling yeah. because I know he signed on, but I mean, it's up to him if he wants to continue. But his contract runs until after the Euros, and like there's stuff being said as if like his position's under scrutiny when I don't think it is at all. I mean, I found there's a tweet from Henry Winter which I found quite interesting how he worded it. He used the word inquest, which I thought not really, not that performance doesn't require a big reset or anything. But where we go, I'm very excited. Someone tweeted last night, I think, a list of the majority of England squad in their ages, a load of them will be by Euro 2024, early to mid-20s, which is crazy. I mean, Jude Bellingham will be 23 years old come Euro 2024. So he's going to have a big injury. He's going to have in him about four or five tournaments at this rate in him. Yeah. And after this World Cup, he's just going to be immense. So I'm really excited to say, not now not being out there, you know, seeing people that we know, putting photos on Twitter, on social media. I was a bit like, oh, I'm a bit good. But I think <laughs> yeah. come March for that Naples trip, even though it is off to Naples, I mean, out of all the places to go there, but it's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of excitement as this next stage, this next cycle begins ahead of the Euro 2024, which is going to be a big, big tournament for England. Yeah. I am of the opinion Gareth can set his own rules. If he wants to go, it's entirely up to him. I, I, the press intrusion and the, as you say, all the, the constant pressure from maybe non-England fans, so for England fans who, who say he's not up to the job, must play on his mind to a certain degree. Does he want to put himself through that, put his family through that? But on the flip side, the squad he's got, the team he's got, they're all the players that he knows I think there's going to be only two that maybe aren't going to be as regular now. And, and those I'd say would be Henderson and Walker, um, simply because of their age. Walker maybe has got has got some more in him. Henderson, you may be able to, to carry on at that top level for England. I, I don't know. But the squad he's got are more than capable of doing well in the Euros. Yeah, as you said, I think Southgate will stay on. I think as a person he's really developed as, as England manager. I can't really see him going to club management once he steps down from this England from the England role. I could see him taking up a bit more of a high position with the FA. Yeah. I don't really see him as a club manager. But yeah, with that squad, you'd be daft not to have a go with that. And as well, he's it's sort of his blueprint has now been installed at St George's Park. So I think if this was, a, so let's say it was this World Cup coming net, like as the next tournament and he'd have a lot much preparation time and I think it would be different. But the one thing he's got to look forward to this Euros is that he will have a full preparation under his belt where, you know, we'll have the qualifying for the few friendlies, then there'll be warm-up games and then it's the tournament. So I think the fact there'll be warm-up games before you know, he could get a full program of develop, like a plan of preparation together. I think that will keep him in the job. But as you say, I think amongst England fans like me and you who go and watch him home and away, everyone's pretty happy with him. Obviously, it was a bit hostile in the last load of games, but I think it's because, you know, we weren't that far from the World Cup. We were expecting us to be 
bargain all cylinders and making a statement, but it just didn't happen. But I mean, clearly it was, it all worked because we did well at a tournament. But um, yeah, I don't get how a lot of these, like people like jump on the bandwagon and then start going, oh, Southgate out, bring Pochettino or Tuch. They're like, no, you don't understand. Like international football's different. Like it's all about building. You're trying to build to reach that peak at that tournament. The qualifying campaigns, uh, basically when they get to tinker, they got your warm-ups where you tinker, but you're trying to get the team to peak at that point. If we're like smashing Italy like 5-0 in March, it's all well and good that happening, but I'd also be a little bit worried to be like, is the team peaking too early? So I really hope he stays on. Again, it's his decision. And if he does go, all I've got to say to him is, Thank you. If it, yeah, I don't think you probably doesn't listen to this, but thank you for like. What do you mean? The memories. <laughs> no, yeah. but like if, it, but like you know, if he does step down because you know he might want to break. Yeah. You know, he's been responsible for one of the best summers of my life last year. So if he sets down, I'll only look back on his uh, time with fondness. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, well, smashing Italy 5-0 would be good. Um, we've got got that to look forward to. But just in the time we've got left, as a World Cup um, that is now over for us, how have you found it? I've, I've obviously got into it, but again, it's because I'm an England fan, so I watch like, every game and like keep on it with a fine-tooth comb. But I think as the tournament progressive England, more and more people bought into it. I mean, when I watched the USA game, pub I was in, was basically empty. And then when I went to watch the France game, it was actually like, it felt like a tournament as in, you know, I think it helped being a Saturday night as well. Places were rammed, went for a few rounds, another puppy four that was showing it, that was already building up a good atmosphere. So I think as the tournament's gone on, more people bought into it. But in terms of how England have done, I think it's been a great tournament. It's been a really exciting one. The only bit's been been against the USA. Um, but yeah, I think England can only walk away with the heads held high, to be honest, after that performance against France. So all in all, successful tournament, even though we've not reached a semi-final for the first time in two consecutive tournaments, it's all a bit weird. So it's a weird feeling that, but ah, well. Yeah, Onwards, onwards we go. Matt, always great to speak to you. I know you've got a blog um, that, you are, that you're writing for. Go on, just point us in that direction. Yeah, so I've actually done a, um, a quick uh, article on just reflecting on just England's journey during the World Cup. It, you can find that at Matt Asprey uh, Sport um, on WordPress. I'll put the link out on my socials and I'll send it over to yours as yeah. well for you to put out. But yeah, it's just the latest uh, England Diaries piece, just having a, ref- uh, re- a bit of a reflection and then they'll be back fully as like the travel log style things come March for Naples, which is a trip that I am looking forward to and I'm also dreading, but it should be a class, uh, class trip. But yeah, the proper travel sort of things where I've got well, try and take fancy pictures that they'll be returning in March. Look forward to it, Matt. Been a pleasure as always. And yeah, let's let's try and meet up in Naples. Yes, definitely, Russell. And I uh, hope you have a great Christmas as well. Likewise to you, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks to Matt Asprey there. Always good to have him on board. So despite us coming home, the World Cup continues. The semi-finals lineup is as follows. Tuesday the 13th, Argentina face Croatia. Then Wednesday the 14th, France take on Morocco. 
I think from a tournament perspective, it's good to have a spread of nations like this from three different continents. We have the two previous finalists in France and Croatia. Could be a repeat of that. Could be. We bring back memories of 1986 and 1990 when Argentina and West Germany fought out their own little duel. 2018 was an all-European semi-final. 2014 was a 50-50 split between Europe and South America. But you have to go back to 2002 for the last nation outside of Europe or South America to make it to the semi-finals. And that was South Korea, who were only beaten by a late German goal. Can I see Morocco get into the final? Head says, of course not. But Hart says... There's been so many upsets already. One more wouldn't do any harm. Although right at the beginning, I did pick Argentina to win it. And I don't think I'm going to change my mind now. And it's always now when England exit, the tournament doesn't really hold as much interest, does it? And especially now with Christmas fast approaching. But I'm sure we'll all make the time to watch the games. Maybe not the third place match though. I'm still not a fan of that one. Actually, whilst we're mentioning Morocco, something that I put on Twitter recently uh, along the lines of England like an African team to play on the odd occasion, I can see the FA's eyes lighting up with the idea of inviting Morocco for a Wembley friendly. Passionate, loud fans, plenty of them. I've seen the footage of various places around the world with Moroccan communities. One of those was London. I think it was the Edgware Road area. I'm sure the FA are thinking of the pound notes that could be earned from that. Interestingly, though, we've only ever played them twice before. Once in the 1986 World Cup, and then in a friendly tournament in 1998, just before the France World Cup. That was in Casablanca, where Michael Owen scored the only goal in front of 80,000. I wonder if anyone listening went to that. Now I'm hoping to do a review of this World Cup, just like I've done with all the previous tournaments that England have participated in, but that'll probably have to wait until the new year. I'm in no hurry. Although, as I mentioned in the last episode, I do have a recording all about the new Three Lions on a Shirt book. That one will be coming your way very soon. I hope you can join me for it. So until then, take care of yourselves. Cheers. Cheers.